Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, you can find us on the web at revivallife.church. Amen. Thank you, band. If you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to uh, Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to be there in a minute. Um, we are, you're in for a treat today. And, and I say that because I'm in for a treat. I, I, um, uh, I would um, encourage you. Um, uh, I would encourage you if, uh, if you missed our Summer of Faith message series, go back and listen to it. It's on our website, revivallife.church. Um, and uh, we, we methodically went through the teaching of the, the Greek word pistas in the New Testament and how it's used in every facet of it. And what we found that as we... Can, can you mute all the channels and try to figure out what that is? Um, what we found that is as we studied this in the Scriptures, something happened inside of people. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Faith began to come alive in people in new ways and faith began to get challenged in people. And what we discovered was the greatest way that God likes to have us operate in faith is to challenge us to step out in faith. He begins to not tell us like, hey, I have taken care of everything. He said, hey, I'm going to give a new faith in your life and you're going to discover it by doing things you couldn't do before, things you were scared to do, things maybe you put inside a box. And, and, and this is what Jesus was trying to do with his disciples while he was here on the earth. Jesus was really deep programming them. He was constantly trying to challenge how they looked at the world. Jesus, of course, early in the Gospels, he multiplied the bread and the fish. We've been talking about this for several weeks now. He multiplied the bread and the fish, and the disciples, they, they did not gain faith from it. They were out on the ocean with, uh, in the boat in the storm, and Jesus came to them in Mark chapter 6, and he got into the boat, and they were astonished, Jesus said in verse 52, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart, I'm ringing somehow, I don't know how, that's wild, but their hearts were hardened. They did not gain insight from the loaves, for their heart was hardened. And I just have to wonder, for us in this day and hour, imagine if you were discipled by Jesus. Imagine if Jesus the Christ was the one conducting your Bible study every week. He was up here preaching every week. Imagine after a year and a half of sitting at the feet of Jesus, he said to you, your heart is still hardened to what I'm trying to teach you. Ah, ah, it would hurt a little bit, right? But, but I, but I got to figure at this point, they were so used to not knowing what Jesus was going to say that it no longer surprised them. You got to be a bit of a thick-skinned person to be discipled by this Prince of Peace. Amen? Like, we know that He is gentle and He's a good shepherd, but my God... My God, Jesus knew how to get to the heart of matters. And so today, I'd like us to, to, to lean in. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to insult anybody. I don't, I don't want to um, I don't say anything disparaging. But possibly there's some hardening in our hearts that have happened. Maybe we also have some hardened hearts that we have failed to grasp what Jesus wants to teach us. We had two ladies today give very courageous testimonies. 
in that their hearts were hardened to something that Jesus wanted to do in their lives. Hardening doesn't necessarily mean that you put up a wall. We know that when you've been cut, some scar tissue grows over it. And sometimes that scar tissue is harder than the tissue that was there before. If you have scars on your body, your body has... Some of you have had a keloid grow over that thing. It, there's a hardening that happened to protect that wound. And we don't even think about the fact that now these areas of our life that Jesus wants to get into, the places that we need Him the most, sometimes are the most hardened. Because we've lived in this world where we have learned we have to protect ourselves. We live in a world that says, man, you've got to watch out for you because everybody else is watching out for themselves. And Jesus comes along and says, I want to do things that you can't even imagine, but that hardened heart that you have. And you're like, Jesus, I, it's there for a reason. And I would like us to lean in today and see maybe, 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 maybe we don't see where Jesus is trying to penetrate our hearts and our lives and trying to possibly bring us into an area of healing and wholeness that we didn't know about. I am going to tell you by way of confession, I'm not sure what's going to happen today. Uh, I do know two things. I'm going to preach the gospel and Holy Spirit is going to heal some hearts. Uh, but God has visited me in a series of dreams about today. And, um, and uh, I, I have tried to write a message. And I've, I've preached a bunch of really good messages recently. I feel like they've been particularly good. I only say that not to brag, but to say I know how to write a sermon. And if you're visiting us today, this happens once, maybe twice a year. And lucky you, here you are today as I try to make my way through what God has shown me. I, I do have something, but we'll see if it's what, what Jesus has for us today. So, so as, we, as we study the Scriptures, we talk about this a lot. Um, we, we so desire to make the Scriptures relevant, we forget what they meant to the people they were written to. Uh, we say this a lot at Revival Life Church, the Bible was not written to you. It was not written to me. It was written to a specific group of people in a specific time in a way that expressed the heart of God. And if we understand the God who wrote it and the people who received it and the message He was trying to communicate, then we can get that message and apply it to our lives. When Matthew sat down and wrote this scripture, he was not thinking about you. He was not thinking about 2,000 years in the future. I believe that the disciples were absolutely convinced that they would not die before the return of Jesus and the establishment of the kingdom. They had a vision that there's no way they thought of the United States, that they thought of what we're doing here today. They didn't think that you would drive here. They didn't think that I would be speaking into a microphone over speakers and that the internet right now, there's probably about 50 people who are going to watch this online all said and done. They didn't have this framework. But God somehow was able to communicate to these people in this specific place, in this specific time, and record specific stories that we can appropriate to understand the heart of God and the ways of Jesus so that we can be more like Christ. And so we have to understand the framework that they were living in. Jesus comes and He rebukes the his disciples, because they don't understand what he's teaching. Let's try to think about the world that they lived in. At the time of the apostles, they, were, they lived in Jerusalem, they lived in um, Israel, but Israel was not its own country. We know that Israel would have been conquered by the Romans. Before that, they were conquered by the Egyptians. The pharaohs ran uh, Israel, and after Rome conquered Egypt, we know that Rome 
ran Israel. They allowed Israel to put some of their own leaders in place, but Rome was in charge. Among Israel, the two governing groups were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You've heard of these people, yes? They like to say the Sadducees were sad, you see. Like, they, that's what they say. They didn't know Jesus. But we have the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and, and, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, had, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a thing. It, yeah, it's, it's a thing. It's, they used to say it a lot in the 80s. It was the 90s. I wouldn't say it in the 80s, but it was a thing they used to say. And the Pharisees, they, had this, they, they have very different thoughts and opinions on what Israel should be doing. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were extremely, extremely different people. They hated each other. They, they, they both believed that the others were not really following God. They weren't really Jews. The Pharisees thought that in order to bring the Messiah, and that was their ultimate goal, in order to bring Messiah, what you needed to do was follow and study Torah. Torah is both the ways of God, it is the first five books of the Bible, and what they thought was if you study Torah, you lived Torah, the Messiah would return. Uh, if you see today in uh, modern America, and even in Israel, you look at the Hasidic Jews, they, they wear the black coats and sometimes wear the, the furry hats and all that. They still believe this. They're the descendants of the Pharisees, and what they do is they send their young people to uh, yeshiva and uh, Jewish school, and they just study the Torah all day, all night, without studying English, without studying math, without studying history, without studying science. They believe that if you just study Torah, Messiah will return. So that, that's the Pharisees. The Sadducees, the, the Pharisees ran all the synagogues. The Sadducees, the Sadducees were different than the Pharisees. The, the Sadducees thought, you know what? History has shown us that we are on our own. God is not going to intervene in what's happening here. God, God, is, God is not breaking in uh, all these myths and legends about angels and resurrections. No, no, no. We have the temple because we're supposed to be a kingdom. We're going to run this like a kingdom. And so the Sadducees were the priests who ran the temple. And what they believed was the goal is to have a governing body that runs Israel. We need to take over the government and run Israel. We need to establish a kingdom so we can be militarily strong. The Sadducees did not go to synagogue to study Torah, and the Pharisees very rarely, if ever, went to the temple. These were the two groups that were running Israel in the time of Jesus, and both of them, coincidentally, thought they were doing it right. Both of them thought that they had the way that was the right way to do it. And if you were in Israel at that time, you had two choices. You followed the Pharisees, you followed the Sadducees, or you just avoided religion altogether. But the Pharisees not only ran religion, they ran the country. They ran the society. They were able to regulate what would happen on certain days of the week. They were able to per prosecute people for not keeping the, the law, the way they thought it was supposed to happen. And it's important that we understand the authority that the Pharisees and the Sadducees had during this time in Israel. Uh, the, 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 the disciples then were left with a conundrum. What were we supposed to do? Are we supposed to be great Pharisees? Did Jesus come as a rabbi, to be this Pharisee who followed the rules and followed the law? Well, certainly that's what the Pharisees thought. 
the Pharisees kept trying to correct Jesus about the rules that they had come up with on how you follow the law, the teachings, the rabbis. You, time and again, they would say to him, our teachings say you're not keeping the customs. You're not doing things the way that we have thought about it because that is how the Pharisees have interpreted how you keep the law. Then the Sadducees were against Jesus because they thought that he didn't keep the temple customs. And if he's supposed to be a leader of Israel and he's gathering all these people, and if he thinks, if people think he's the Messiah, the Messiah has come to set Israel apart from Rome, conquer Rome, take over, and set up the kingdom of Israel. And so people were wondering, whose Messiah are you? Who got it right? Was it the Pharisees that you're going to come and live perfectly and we're going to get God? Or is it the Sadducees and you're going to come and set an army that's going to take over Israel and we are going to be free? Pick one, pick the other. And this is how we characterize people in the Bible, unfortunately. We fail to see what the disciples were dealing with. We fail to see the dynamics of their society that they were dealing with. And Jesus, Jesus... Jesus didn't fall into their categories. He refused to fall into their categories. He refused to be put in, like Aletta said, a box. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus would challenge them. We see that in Mark chapter 16. What we see is, before you go there, in Mark 15, excuse me, Matthew 15, um, Jesus multiplied bread for a second time. Remember the first time he multiplied the bread, he immediately went off to pray. And he sent the disciples across the sea. And the disciples were in a storm. Jesus walked out to them. Depending on the Gospels, he was going to walk by them. They were surprised by him. They couldn't believe him. And as we read, they were astonished. And Jesus said, you're astonished because you did not get the message of the loaves. Your heart was hardened. You were not enlightened by the message of the loaves. And I say, ah, what is what is what is? What is that? What, what, what does that mean? And then they, they go ahead and in uh, Matthew chapter 15, Jesus repeats the miracle of the fish and the loaves the second time. And I believe the disciples said, we're, we're, we're going to get it this time. This time, this time we're like, like we saw this before. What is Jesus communicating to us? What, what is the message in the miracle? Every miracle that Jesus does, there's a message that's supposed to Mark our lives. That's what this message series is. Marked. Carrying the imprint of Jesus on our lives. We're supposed to be marked by God in a way that changes who we are in this world. Our struggle is not between God and the devil. Our struggle is between us and God. Will we believe what God says? Will we line up with what He calls truth? Will we be true followers of Christ? The challenge that we have as we try to follow Christ is we believe that our life is normal. The way we live is the normal way. And Jesus wants to come and help us to live our lives a little bit better. We, we think that, that the way I was raised by my parents is normal. And then we get married. And then we get married to somebody who was raised by different parents. And then all of a sudden, our normal conflicts with their normal. And all of a sudden, we have to come out and we have to do one of two things. Either one person 
dominates the other, or if we're more emotionally intelligent, we say, let's put our beliefs on the table and see which one we want to propagate with our children. This is, this is what we do in, in premarital counseling. Pastor Tracy goes through this with um, the, the couples who are going to get married, and we call them, what do you call them, honey? Your, uh, your beliefs, your, 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 no, 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 no. The things that you believe, your rules. Your rules, what? Who went through pyramid? Yeah, what she does is she says, okay, what are the rules that your family gave you that you grew up with? And people are like, I don't know what you're talking about. What? Unsaid rules? Whatever they are. Unset expectations. Unset expectations. So we grow up. Some of you grew up that after dinner, you do dishes immediately. Other people say, no, no, no. You clean dishes as you go. As you cook, you clean. At the end of cooking, you should have a clean kitchen. And then you two go to get dinner together, and you're like, why aren't you cooking? You're like, because I want to eat the food while it's hot. Like, well, we can't eat with the kitchen looking like this. We need to... You don't recognize that your normal is not their normal. And you find these things out. God, God gave us a, like a, a really anointed way. It's called a fight, right? We begin to argue about how things are supposed to happen. And so, so the emotionally intelligent people are able to, to, to recognize their unwritten rules because they have looked at other people and said, oh, that's interesting. I see things differently than them. Emotionally, emotionally immature people say, oh, look at all these people. They do it wrong. <laughs> I should be teaching them how to do things the way I do things, right? When, when we're a little more, uh, when we're little more people about the world, we go to other cultures and say, oh, isn't this interesting? They've developed this differently than I have. Let me in investigate their, their history, their culture to see why they've come this way. There's a funny thing that happens when you go on a mission trip. Every time I go on a mission trip, and I've gone on, I don't know, at least 20, uh, when I take teams on mission trips, one of the very first meetings we always have is we say, we are not going to this place to save anybody. The gospel is already there. Jesus has already established the church. We're not going to rescue Nicaragua. We're not going to rescue Mexico. We're not going to rescue Honduras. We're not going to rescue Trinidad and Tobago. We're not going to rescue. Jesus has been there before we were ever born. We're going there to partner with the church, see what the church is doing, and see how we can be a blessing. Hopefully, yeah, amen. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, we can be a blessing. Hopefully we can lead people in salvation. Hopefully we can see people get healed. But we are not there to go be colonialists. Hey, we, we figured out how things work in Boca. Let's go take it to Managua and tell them how to do what works in Boca. Oh, you guys are so backwards that you're doing it this way. I had a church that I would visit in Nicaragua all the time. I don't know, I've ministered there so many times. And um, they would cut me off. I'd be like, man, the, the anointing's beginning to go. You know, I'm going to... And, and, and the first couple times I ministered there, I was there for one week one time, and uh, by the third day, I'm like, what's, like, why are we in such a hurry to get people out of here? He said, oh, friend, th this isn't the United States. These women can't walk home in the dark. We got to let them out of here before the sun sets. I'm like, you don't know what you don't know. Like, God can touch them anytime, but a bandit will touch them at night. And so we're going to get them home while the sun is up. See, we don't know what we don't know. We go thinking we know something. Oh, the glory is here because I'm here. And, and these people just, oh, God showed up because I showed up. And what's the most important thing in all of your lives now is what's important to me, right? And the pastor's like, no, actually, I'm shepherding these people. 
And so we don't know what we don't know. And we're living in a society that is not really self-reflective. And so Jesus is speaking to a society that is not particularly self-reflective. And Jesus, he multiplies the bread a second time. And some of the disciples are like, I, I, I'm going to get it this time. I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm going to get it. So Jesus, in, in Matthew chapter 15, he multiplies the bread a second time. And after he multiplies the bread, the Pharisees say, if you're the Messiah, why don't you, why don't you show us a sign? Show us a sign that you're really the Messiah. And, and if I was one of the disciples, I was like, did you, did you, did you like the bread that just got, you just ate? Did you, did you find that tasty? There's your sign. What I have found is there are never enough signs for a skeptic. Never enough signs. No matter what you tell them, no matter what you do, they will always find a reason to be skeptical. And they'll have you jumping through hoops to serve them. I'm going to depart from my message here for a second and talk to maybe, hopefully nobody in the room. This is what happens in abusive relationships. When you are in a relationship with an abusive person, you will never satisfy the reason that they're being abusive. Oh, it's because they're mad. No, it's because they're a dirtbag. Oh, no, it's because I didn't do this. No, it's because they don't have morals, right? No, you will never, you will never satisfy the needs of an abusive person so that they'll stop being abusive. You will never satisfy a dominating person. It's like anxiety. Things can never be good enough for anxiety to shut up. You have to at some point realize, I cannot serve an abuser. Anxiety is an abuser. It is a dominator. It is a user. It wants to consume your life with fear. And until you get to the place where you can say, I am going to do things scared if I have to, but I will not serve my abuser any longer, it will continue to run your life. Does that make sense? Amen, 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 amen. And so Jesus shows up on the scene and says, I don't know if you guys know this, but the two choices you're giving me, neither one is healthy. Neither one is healthy. So they, they, they go to Jesus and say, give us a sign. Give us a sign that you're the Messiah. And, and Jesus is like, no, no, um, you, you actually just got a sign. That, 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 and that's all you're, you're going to get from me. And then Jesus, and then Jesus um, he turns to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 6. Let me turn there, excuse me. Matthew chapter 16, in verse 6, he says to his disciples, watch out. Between, excuse me, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Skip ahead to verse 11. How is that you not understand that I not speak to you about bread, but beware of the leaven of Pharisees and Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. We skim past that not understanding that these are two groups who were polar opposites in Israel. And you had to pick which one was correct. We, we tend to look at it like this. Okay, if, 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 if Pharisees are a one and Sadducees are a five, where on the, maybe I'm supposed to be at two and a half. Maybe I'm supposed to be three. And you go to Jesus and say, Jesus, should I be a Pharisee? Should I be a Sadducee? What number? And Jesus says, uh, here's what I'd like you to be. 
kingdom of heaven, right? Jesus gets these two complete opposite groups and lumps them together and says, beware of their teachings. He lumps them both as opposed to the kingdom of God. It's like going to Jesus and saying, should I be a Democrat or should I be a Republican? And Jesus says, beware of the teachings of the Democrats and the Republicans. Beware of their teachings. They're the same thing with different colors. They can run the government, whatever. I don't hate them. I'm not suspicious of them, but I do not follow them. I do not follow them because I already have a government that I'm a part of. It's the government of God. It is the kingdom of heaven. And there's, there's people who want to tell you, well, you got to pick one. And I say, no, I actually don't. I don't woke up and I recognize, no, I don't. I, I, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to pick either one of those parties. I am a registered independent because I want to vote. So you got to register to vote. They're like, pick a party. I'm like, uh, unless Jesus is running, I ain't picking a party. I'm an independent and I'm a vote for whoever I think might do a good job, but I am not a Democrat and I am not a Republican. I am a Christian. I am a Christian. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. That's who I am. I may vote for a Republican. I may vote for a Democrat, but I am not one of them. I am a Christian. Amen. And so Jesus says, Beware of the teaching of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Both the Pharisees and the Sadducees were doing works of the flesh. And Jesus came with a new kingdom. Jesus came to impart faith in God. And this only happens by experiencing the life of God. This only happens when you come into contact with the Spirit of God. This only happens when the Fire of God touches your life. We have this thing in revival life. We have this this value for the presence. We have a three-word statement at revival life. It is encounter, formation, mission. We are to encounter the life of God. We are to be formed, counterculturally formed to look like disciples of Jesus. Then we are to be part of the mission that Jesus sent us here on the earth. We need all three in our lives. And here we see Jesus is doing these miracles in these disciples' lives with a point. And we can't forget this. He's doing the miracle for a point. Like he wants to rescue you. If you're in depression right now, I I, I can tell you 100% without a shadow of a doubt, Jesus wants to deliver you from depression. If you are stuck in anxiety, Jesus wants to heal your anxiety. If you, do have, or if you are underhoused and you do not have the housing you need, I absolutely believe that Jesus wants people in homes. I believe people, Jesus wants people to have enough money for food. I believe He wants people to own the roof over their head. I believe He wants us to have lives that prosper. He wants your children to be safe from gun violence. He wants us to not have pandemics happening in our country. He does not want our children to be taught crazy things about their sexuality. He wants us to be safe. I believe that. I believe I, I, I absolutely believe that. But when Jesus does it, He's not just like Amazon that delivered something and gave you a smile. There's a point to every package He delivers by way of miracle. There's a point to every package He delivers by way 
of miracle. And what Jesus wants is us to live in a way where we encounter the kingdom of God and it affect how we see this world. When I got saved, I had, I had no idea about the kingdom of God. I knew who Jesus was. Uh, who doesn't know who Jesus is? I knew that he died on the cross for my sins. I, I knew that intellectually. I believed that he was my God, but I, I had even had encounters with him when I was young, but he had not become Lord over my life yet. He had not led me. I was not a follower of Christ, even though I considered myself a Christian. And then one day, I just in the midst of my crazy, crazy, crazy life, Jesus invaded my life. I answered an altar call. I got filled with the Spirit of God. I got delivered of the devil. And all of a sudden, the world looked different. I walked around and saw things I did not see before. The first time I went into a Spirit-filled church, I walked in the room, and for the very first time in my life, the air looked clear. At that moment, I recognized that I had been seeing the world through a cloud, like a fog. It was the fog of culture. It was the fog of pride, the fog of idolatry, the fog of this world telling me what's supposed to be important through its demonic influence instead of the influence of the kingdom of God. Gave my life to Jesus. I got delivered of the devil, and my life has never been the same since it was a touch from Jesus that completely changed my life. But after I got saved, I had to learn, how do you live this life of faith? How do you live as a person who has given their life to Christ? How do I vote now? I was extremely active in politics before I got saved. Now, how do I vote? How do I pick out what I wear? How do I interact with the people around me? What are the values supposed to be on my life? What education am I supposed to get? I had been baptized into a new kingdom, and I recognized that how I made decisions before Jesus was not going to work in this new life. How I made friends was not going to work in this new life. How I pick a mate is not going to work in this new life. I can't just do it on my own. I need Jesus to come and show me. And Jesus is with these disciples, and he's trying to teach them, listen, there is a kingdom that has been shown to you your entire life, and I am here to show you the unseen kingdom that Abraham talked about. When we read about Abraham in Hebrews that he went off to get a kingdom he could not see. He went to follow the unseen God. This is who I had experienced. And if you haven't experienced him yet, I would say, press in, read your Bible, come to the altar after service, ask somebody to pray for you. You deserve an encounter with the living God. If you are just following God because you know Him to be real, I applaud you. But you deserve to have an encounter with the living God where you get filled with the Spirit of God and everything changes. Amen. And so God, God in this season, I don't know what He's been telling you, but He's been telling me over and over and over again that I need to meditate on the testimony of God in my life that I need to meditate on what he's telling me in this season because it's very different than what I see. And he's been saying, Carl, I've shown you what I want to do through this church. I need you to get this inside of you so that I can get it through you. I need it to get inside of you so you can see it with your natural eyes. I need, it to, I need you to be baptized into this thing so when you come up out of this vision, 
You can see it with your natural eyes. God shows me visions of your success. And He wants me to fully believe it so I can see it manifest in your life. I, I pray for you. I intercede for you. I, I, I have dreams about your future. And I fully buy into those. And God's like, yes, you need to buy into these visions. I had a... Um, God woke me up uh, this morning. He woke me up yesterday morning, woke me up this morning. Um, yesterday I went back to sleep. Today I couldn't because I had to go to work. Um, um, while we're speaking of work, I feel an air vent right here. We're still praying that our landlord would, you know, he, he, he don't want to fix our AC, but we're going to move that mountain, amen? Be praying into that, amen. Uh, uh, the Lord woke me up this morning, and he began to show me disfigured eyes. And there were people, um, there were people who their eyes either didn't work, and, and, or one girl had three eyes. The third one was mutated. It was, it was like a gross, like Chernobyl thing that happened from radioactivity, and uh, and I just I looked at these people and I was like, oh, I, I I can I can heal that, like that that's not a problem, and so I would fight to get to these people so I could lay hands on them and see their eyes healed, and it was a it was it was a pretty cool dream. I'll be honest with you, it's pretty neat when you see eyes open. I've I've had the the good fortune as as several of us have to see blind eyes open. Uh, uh, in America, and but more on the mission field. Um, I, were you there, Duke? I'm not sure. That time we, we prayed for the girl, and, um, and the cataracts came out of her eyes like a black sludge, and it just rolled down her face, and her eye was completely open. Like, we just, we, we just, I've just, I've just seen miracles. Like, I just, and I, I got to tell you, it's pretty exciting to be in the room. Like, I don't have to be doing it. I just want to be in the room when it happens. I just want to be able to watch it. I'm just like, this is this is cool. It's almost, for me, it's almost like I'm glad I didn't pray for them because I don't have to worry about pride. I can just rejoice in the miracle. Sometimes when you do the miracle, you know, you're like, I don't want to tell anybody because there's like a pride thing you want to, uh, but when someone else does it, you can brag on it all day long because you had nothing to do with it, right? Like, and so I was just like so excited. Like that time with a girl with the cataracts, I didn't have anything to do with it. There's other times that um, ears open and it's, it's just, it's so cool to like talk to somebody who just had a miracle from Jesus and like, they're like, no, no, he really touched me. You're like, I believe it. They're like, no, 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 no. Like I couldn't hear out of this ear and now I can hear. I'm like, I know, that's what I prayed for. And like, no, but it's healed now. I'm like, that's why I prayed. Like I didn't pray expecting it to not get healed. I prayed expecting it to get healed and now you can hear that's, that's what we did. No, 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 you don't understand. I really do. What you don't understand is this is the kingdom. Welcome to the kingdom of God. Welcome to the kingdom of God where all things are possible. Amen? And so, and so God has been telling me, listen, these miracles have to be our reality. And so, so we hear in, in Mark chapter 16, in verse 13, I'm going to read this very quickly. Um, he says, now when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say? Let me just tell you another. Can I tell you another testimony? I just remembered it. I didn't have anything to do with it. This was so good. This was, I don't know who this is for. We were at this, at, at this church, and my favorite churches are the ones with dirt floors and three walls, right? Like, they, they, don't, they generally don't have four walls. What they do is first they put up big speakers under an awning. Like, that's always the first thing they do. Big, 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 loud, obnoxious speakers. Uh, then they'll have, like, an arbor for the preacher, uh, and then they'll um, do a, a roof and then the two walls. And sometimes they get to the fourth wall, but generally it's three walls. And my favorite, and, it, and, and, and um, the whole neighborhood can hear the service. 
Like if you're living anywhere near there, you're in church, right? You know, dirt roads, dirt floors, you know, uh, little corrugated steel roofs, sticks for walls generally. And um, I, something happens to me on the mission field. I get hungry a lot um, and I want to go eat. But I want to eat clean food because everything in me is anointed except my stomach on, uh, on mission trips. I'll leave it at that. And so we were, um, we were in this church and uh, this friend of mine was praying for this little girl who was crippled. And she was about three, I guess, three. And, uh, and um, kids who never walk, they have legs that look like my pinkies. And uh, it's pretty sad. And um, this guy was praying for this girl for like 45 minutes. And I was ready to go eat. Like, I'm like, I'm like, appreciate you. Bless her real good. Bless family. Maybe give him some money. But let's go eat. Let's, let's just go eat. And he wouldn't leave. And I got caught up in a conversation with the pastor there. And he's talking, talking, talking. And I'm getting more and more hungry. And I'm ready to go. And I'm ready to go. And then I just hear some screaming. And the screaming is the parents. Because the girl started walking. And I was just like, this is, amen. Oh, you know, let's just celebrate God for a second. Now, generally, when that happens, their legs, they don't have the muscles, so they, like, they can't walk much. They have to go through, like, they have to learn how to walk. But the kid was walking who couldn't move their legs when we got there. And I'm like, like imagine, imagine the testimony of that kid. Like, his children's children will be talking about how he was born crippled and some Americans showed up and had a church service and someone prayed. They're not going to talk about me being hungry. Like, my suffering is not even going to be included in that. The sacrifice I had to make is not even going to be included. But this kid started walking. Like, forever changed. This person was... So, for the rest of that kid's life, you can never say that they didn't know that God was real. Like, their, their family is marked forever. I like good church. I like good church services. I love happy, clappy music. I love it. I really do. Um, I, like, I like high production. I like... I, I even like fog. I even like weird things. I like flags, just not in services I'm leading, right? Like, I, I like, um, I could do without shofars, uh, but I'm just going to be honest. You ever notice they blow them, like, at the least opportune time? Like, you're, oh, Jesus, oh, is it a fire alarm? What is it? Um, I, I, but I like the presence of God more. If it's not producing, if God isn't showing up to the service, I don't want to be in the service. I want to be where God is. And if, and if that means we march around this room 20 times, and then Jesus, I'm good with that. If that means that just Mikey sits up here and plays keyboard and sings by himself, I'm down. If Duke gets up here and just reads Psalm until Jesus shows up, I'm down with that. I want Jesus in the service more than I want anything else. I like my kids being entertained, but I want Jesus to touch my life more than anything else when we gather around the Word of God. I'm not here for a Bible study. I'm here to encounter Jesus with you. Okay, where two or three are gathered. All right, amen. So we're going to, here we go. Matthew chapter 16. I'm telling you, next week I'm going to have a great teaching. It's, you're really going to want to come for it. I already know the scriptures and everything. I'm ready to go. It says, now when Jesus came, we're in verse 13, came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples. Now remember the context. Remember, bless you. Remember the context. that he had done the multiplying of the bread the second time, the disciples this time knew there was something more important. Jesus finally told them, beware of these Pharisees and Sadducees, telling them that I'm not of either one of them, right? So now here we go. Um, 
Now Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi. He was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Remember, let's remember the context. There's Pharisees and there's Sadducees, and I don't care what either one of them say. Who do the people say that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, who do you say that I am? Who do you yourselves say that I am? This, 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 is the, this is the test of whether you have been acculturated to this world or if you've been acculturated to the kingdom of heaven. Do my ethics line up with the kingdom of heaven or do I look like the world? Who do you say that I am? Do you look at things the same way the world does? Who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Good answer, Peter. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that, on, that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. There's a funny little playing in the Greek there. Uh, Peter is, is Petros, and rock is Petras. So he's like, you are Petros, and this Petras will not, and on this Petras. It's, he does this little play on words. Jesus is good with wordplay. He's, he's dropping bars right there. It's what's basically happening. He's, <laughs> bars on bars. They're like, oh, that was good. That was good, right? He says, listen, he calls him by his, his, his earthly name, not the name that Jesus gave him, Simon Barjona, you, the man, son of Jonah. You did not come up with this on yourself, but you have encountered the kingdom of heaven. You have been marked by my Father. The Holy Ghost has revealed to you my true identity. And it's this, this people encountering the kingdom of heaven. This system, the gates of hell can never come against it. It can come against churches. It can come against people, but people who have encountered God. There's no demon in hell who can disqualify it. Finally, Peter was free from the world's influence and he could confess Jesus as Messiah. The work of Holy Spirit brought him to salvation. Peter was finally free from this influence of the world. And, and here's what he's saying. Are, 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 you, are you ready to separate from the world? Are you ready to dump dead religion? Are you ready to leave the quest for worldly power? And then you're ready to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and here's, here's where this goes. And if I could get the band to come up, I'm going to end here in a moment. Here's where this goes. Peter says, yes, yes, I am ready to be marked and carry your name. Um, I just need the band. I just need the band. Um, I, I, here's what Peter says. Yes, I'm ready to be marked for your name. Then Jesus visits the disciples after he has been murdered and resurrected. And he tells them, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Whoever you lay hands on will be healed, will speak in new tongues, they'll be filled with the Spirit. What is he saying? What is he saying? I have modeled something for you. Clearly, there's only one Messiah. But you are to carry this system, not just teach, but you are to lay hands on people and they are to encounter the kingdom of God in a way 
that the world can never negate. Have you been touched by God? Do you remember? you remember the first time you were touched by God? Do you, you remember what happened when you were living your life? Maybe you grew up in church, but one day, there was maybe a crisis, maybe you were at a service, maybe just you were reading the Word of God, and all of a sudden, God became real. You didn't come up with that. Jesus says, listen, that, that was not you. Your Father in heaven revealed that to you. You somehow transcended this realm, miraculously transcended this realm. And the reality of the kingdom of heaven came and touched your life in a way that you will never be the same again. This, this, this is supposed to mark us. This is supposed to mark us. Just like the multiplying of the bread was supposed to mark the disciples. Never doubt Jesus again. Never think you're on your own. Never think you have to come up with your own plan. He's telling them, I am marking you with this miracle. Every miracle is a gateway to a new realm with Jesus. Paul talked about this in Romans chapter 12. He says, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually parts of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us should use them properly. If prophecy in proportion to one's faith, if service in acts of serving, or the one who teaches in act of teaching, or the one who exhorts in the work of exhortation, the one who gives with generosity, the one who's in leadership with diligence, the one who shows mercy with cheerfulness. What is he saying? What do you think? He said, I touched you. God has touched you. And when he touched you, his Holy Ghost put something on the inside of you. And we need to learn to use the gifts God has given us through faith. According to the grace that God has given each of us. If you're struggling in faith, if you're struggling with overcoming, if you're having a hard time seeing God in your life, I, I, I would challenge you. The easiest way to do it is begin giving away the gift of God in your life. How do you do that, Pastor? Begin serving people around you. Christianity was never meant just to be a life upgrade. Jesus did not just come so you can go to heaven when you die. He came to establish the kingdom of heaven on earth so that we who have been marked by Jesus begin living our lives in a way that it affects the people around us. This is what we have been called to. This is what Jesus has called us to. This is what Jesus marked us for. This is why Jesus came. This is what He wants out of our lives. He wants us to be marked by the kingdom. We experience the reality of the kingdom of God. Let me tell you exactly what happened. Day before yesterday, the Lord visited me in a dream. And He began talking to me. It was just, I'm just in a season of visitation, if I can just be honest with you. It's bizarre. I don't understand why. 
But I am. I'm in a season of visitation. And Jesus is visiting me in my study. He's visiting in my sleep. And yesterday morning, I, I began to wake up and I was drifting in between sleep and awake. And He would talk to me when I would drift off to sleep and I would see this mosaic. And then I would wake up and I'd hear Him talking again. And then I would drift back off to sleep. And this vision would begin to unfold. And in the vision, I, I wrote it down when I woke up. He said, we experience the reality of the kingdom of God. But we have to live in a way that shows we're aware of the reality of the kingdom of God. We have to train our soul to be aware of the kingdom of God. We have to train our heart. We have to train our mind. No, 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 no. Jesus already talked to me about my future. It's decided. I refuse to go with the fears of the world. He said, when we then need to bring the rest of the world under the influence of the kingdom of God. Not the kingdom of our government, the kingdom of God. Through the gifts of the Spirit, we bring those unaware of the kingdom under the kingdom. This is the encounter that they have so they can be properly spiritually formed. People need to encounter the Spirit of God so they know the kingdom is here. That Jesus is alive. That God is moving on the earth today. Stand with me if you would. If you consider Revival Life Church your church, then I want to challenge you to sign up to serve. If you're not serving somewhere yet, we need serving in every area. We need children, ministers, we need greeters, we need ushers, people on the production team. If you're not serving and you consider this your church, make it your church by serving the people of this house. When you begin serving in the house of God, the grace in this house gets on you. That's what happens. You then get a portion of the anointing that's in this house to do your part for the body. There'll be some people in the lobby today with some connection cards. You can choose a place. Someone will connect you and train you how to serve. I want to challenge you to serve in the house of God. I also want to challenge you to share your faith this week. We are called. We are called to spread the kingdom of God. Letting other people have encounters. And so you invite them into the place of encounter so that they can be under the influence of Holy Spirit. Does this make sense? Does this make sense? Are we on the same page here? Now I'm going to pray. Before I dismiss you, I'm going to pray. I want to pray for those who need an encounter with God. I'm going to pray for those who need God to come in and touch their lives. I want to pray for those who need an assurance of God's love. And if you are one of those people who raised your hand earlier today and you still need prayer, I want to invite you to the front. The Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, believers, just pray in the Spirit and just believe that God is going to touch you. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I would ask right now, ha, thank you, Jesus. I would ask right now, I would ask right now, Lord Jesus, ha, Thank you, Lord. I, 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 mm. Yes, 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 yes. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. Father, in the name of Jesus, I don't want to make anything happen. But Father, I do ask that you would begin to touch people in this room right now. That you would begin to touch people in this room right now, Father, in the name of Jesus. That, that it would be real. That your kingdom would be real. And Father, I pray if there's anybody in this room right now who's not given their life to Jesus, who 
who have not who have not surrendered, Father, who need a touch from God. Father, I would ask that they would come forward right now and receive the touch that they desperately need. If you have not given your life to God, I would, I would say, don't, don't, don't be dumb. Don't leave today without receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you need breakthrough in your life, I want to invite you to come forward and receive prayer. If you need healing in your life, I would ask you, you could come forward and receive prayer. But you could stay right where you're at and lift your hands and begin to ask Jesus to touch your life, to pour the anointing out on your life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There's someone right now that the fire of God is beginning to just drip down your head right now. Come forward and, and receive the blessings of God. Someone right now, I see the fire of God is in somebody's hand. Right now, it's in your right hand is beginning to burn. God is activating gifts in your life right now. You're, you're receiving an impartation. I want to pray for you. I want you to come forward. Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus. We're going to wait one minute. Just pray. Just pray in the Spirit. I want to move on, but is there anybody today who would be bold enough to say, I need Jesus? I need this kingdom? That you would come forward and receive him? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I know who I'm waiting on, but you don't have to come. Thank you, Jesus. Let's all pray this prayer. Jesus. Let's say it out loud. Jesus. I'm asking you to touch me. So I can be part of your kingdom. And be filled with your spirit. So others can know you. In Jesus name. Amen. Can you give a clap offering to God? Come on, give a clap offering to God. Give a clap offering to God. Hallelujah. 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 Let me bless you before we go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and lift His countenance upon you. I pray that the Lord would visit you and give you peace in Jesus name. God bless you. Have an amazing week. If you need healing in your body, I want to invite you forward. Give two people a hug and a high five. And I will see you next Sunday. I heard you four times. can't do it through physical strength. It's got to be by grace. Just receive it by grace. Father, it's you. I got nothing. He's got nothing. Grace, Lord. Jesus, touch him. Heal his body, Lord.